0: Um, so I'm going to jump into this pretty quickly. This is part one of a series on the Holy Spirit. We're gonna—I I imagine us being in this series going up almost to Thanksgiving. I think it'll be ten-ish weeks. Um, I don't know if that seems like a really long time to you to talk about the Holy Spirit, but we're going to cover a lot of ground. Um, and so there's just there's a couple things I want to say just by way of introduction, okay? The first thing I want to say is there's a lot of you I'm still getting to know, or I don't know super well, and some of you I know a lot. And I'm aware that we have a lot of different backgrounds in our small church, experiences with who God is in general, some of us not having spent much time in church at all growing up, some of us with very different backgrounds. Um, And so what, what I want to just invite all of us to do is... Let's, let's look to Scripture and look to God's leading, and I would encourage you to do your own digging and just say, God, would you speak to me about who your Holy Spirit is, how he operates, and how, how I can be in relationship with him. Just be open to what God would say. And my hope is that we'll just kind of go on a fun adventure together discovering this. Um, I believe very firmly that the Bible is the word of God. I believe that with all my heart. I take it incredibly seriously. I look to it. To guide me in life, um, I also believe that what the Word of God is meant to do, it's meant to become alive in us. That this is the very picture of who Jesus is. The Word of God was so real and so alive in Him, He, he lived it out, and and so he experienced this incredible communion with the Father and with the Holy Spirit's presence in his life while he walked this earth. And people got a taste of the incredible love of God through Jesus. And I think sometimes it can be so um, intimidating or overwhelming to think of Jesus as an example. He's not an example in the sense I need to try to live up to that. He's God. He's above me, beyond me. I'm, I'm, I'm just in awe of him. But, but I am, he does invite me to live this life that he offers. And so I'm, gonna, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. We'll talk about abiding in him. He invited us to abide or live in him. He wants us to experience and enjoy the life he offers. And the Holy Spirit plays a central part of that. So we're going to spend time in the word. Um, every week we will unpack different portions of scripture. Um, I want this to be very rooted and grounded in the word of God. But listen. Guys, if if our faith, if our idea of the Christian journey is just to have a list of statements that we then decide we either agree or disagree with, we're missing out. We're missing out. I don't think there's anything wrong with a statement of faith and knowing core things you believe, but God didn't call us to agree with some statements. He called us to know him and walk with him and enjoy life with him and to watch what happens when his life trickles down into ours and then begins to touch all the relationships around us. It's powerful. It's life-changing. It's enriching. It's meaningful. And so that's, that's where we're heading. So we're just going to cover two basic things this morning. I'm going to give five to ten minutes to each of these. Then I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview of where we're heading in the series, and then we'll wrap things up this morning. So number one, just to state it as boldly and clearly as I can, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. I want to read you something. This is from our website. It's kind of a summary of the doctrine of the Trinity. And so I want to read this to you. Um, in my notes and on our website are all of this, the verses that kind of support this statement. Okay? So I want to, I don't often read straight from my notes, but I want to read this specifically this morning to start out. So we believe this is a church. The doctrine of the Trinity. There is one God in essence, power, and authority. He's manifested as three distinct, non-created. That means God the Father didn't create Jesus later or speak the Holy Spirit into existence later. They're three distinct, non-created, co-eternal persons. Each is of the same essence or nature and the same glory or divinity, there is one God, but he has revealed himself in three distinct persons as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all three are the one God. Now, I will readily admit that that is a great mystery. It's it's one of the core things when I think about who God is that I just have to decide he's God and I'm not. I might be able to kind of Rationally think my way through it. You know, I've heard people talk about like really bad examples of like, well, there's like an egg, but like you have the hard outer shell, and then you have the white part, and then you've got the yolk, and like those are all kind of three parts of the same egg. And it's like, okay, that might help, like in kids' ministry to kind of learn the concept of the Trinity. And he's God and he's mysterious. And I just want to say up front, I I get it that not only is the Trinity mysterious, but generally speaking, the Holy Spirit feels like the most mysterious of the bunch. I get that. And to a degree, I don't want to touch that. I want to let him be God and let him keep his glory and his mystery. And there are just some things in life I have to be willing to say, God, I'm going to humble myself and let you be the one that has this figured out, and I don't. But I also want to say that I I believe we've allowed the Holy Spirit specifically to be so shrouded in mystery that we miss out on a real relationship that we're meant to have. And and I believe that the Holy Spirit is meant to be, um, hopefully this doesn't diminish what I just said, but he's meant to be a normal part of our everyday life. And my hope is that we'll remove some of the mystery that I'll realize you know, when people talk about in church having a relationship with God, this is what they mean, experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit in my everyday life, and that that would become more and more comfortable for me. So that's, that's my hope as we go along here. So a couple of basic things about the Holy Spirit. Number one, when we say he's, he is God, he's a member of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it means he's co-equal. He's on the same level with them. It means that he's eternal just like their Father and Son are eternal. They cooperate together. They do this way better than you and I. Sometimes we get glimpses of what it looks like to really be in sync or in unison. You know, I think we can experience that in church life. We can experience it in our marriages. We can experience it in sports. There's ways that, that we experience people working together, and it's a beautiful thing when it's clicking. Um, God just lives there all the time. And so constantly, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit cooperating. So I want to acknowledge up front to a degree, it can almost be a waste of time to try to figure out who does what. You know what I mean? Like, I think we can get lost in the semantics of that, okay? God is at work. He's present. His Spirit is available. Jesus is here. The Father is with us. It's a mystery, and God's present. But there are some very specific ways that the Scripture unpacks who the Holy Spirit is and what He does and how He operates in our life. So I want to give you a little taste of this. Um, First of all, in the Old Testament, we've got glimpses of this picture of the Trinity and specifically the Holy Spirit at work. An example is right at the beginning in Genesis 1.26. If God isn't a Trinity, then this statement makes no sense when God said, let us make man in our image. He's not talking to the angels. He's definitely not talking to Satan. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are having a conversation, and they're saying, hey, let's make people in our image. And even that is a glimpse at the beauty of relationship that God originally intended for us. He intended for us to to walk in relationship with each other that's unmarred and unstained by selfishness and pride and sin and junk. He designed us to just be connected with each other and with him and enjoy that. And so that was what was intended at creation, and that's now a primary work of the Holy Spirit, is to bring that about, to heal us and grow us and change us so we can walk in healthy relationships. So we see that at the beginning. Jesus referenced um, the Trinity often. One example is found um, in what we refer to as the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good job. Some of you guessed well there, or you knew the verse. Um, Okay, a couple of other ways where we see the Holy Spirit show up in Scripture. He shows up at creation. In Genesis 1-2, we see the Holy Spirit hovering over the surface of the deep, waiting to spring into action and participate in the very creation of the world. We see him present at the baptism of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels all record some version of the Holy Spirit descending like a dove at that scene when Jesus was baptized. The Great Commission that I just referenced. And in Romans eight eleven, Paul writes, and he tells us, that the Holy Spirit was operating in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is present throughout Scripture, operating in big, crucial moments. So I just that's a little bit of a foundation. Um, I've got notes that we teach at some of our foundations classes that go even a little more in depth. I would be happy to share those with you. If, if you want a little more foundation on the Trinity and the Holy Spirit, we'd love to give them. There's some verses that are a great place to start. You can check that out. Um, I want to wrap up this kind of doctrine section by reading you a quote from John Piper. John Piper said this about the Holy Spirit. He said, When you read the New Testament honestly, you can't help but get the impression of a big difference from a lot of contemporary Christian experience. For them, the Holy Spirit was a fact of experience. For many Christians today, it is a fact of doctrine." man, I hope that that would not be the case for us. That we wouldn't just know how to describe who the Holy Spirit is, but we would experience him in our life. And so that leads into point two this morning. The Holy Spirit is essential. He, pray, he plays a central role in the life of believers to walk in a relationship with Jesus. That's his role. So um, we're going to unpack some scripture found in a, a section of the Gospel of John, Um, This is a section of Scripture I probably bring up every five or six months, if not more often. It's one of my favorite portions of Scripture. The Gospel of John is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I feel like there's just an intimacy to it. God's inviting us into this relationship. And in John, really chapter 13, going several chapters, but specifically this morning, John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is having a conversation with the people that he spent the most time with on this earth, who he knew the best, I would almost say love the most, but that's not accurate. He loves us all equally. But man, these were just his bros. These were the guys he knew intimately. This is, this is happening as a part of the Last Supper. And so he has this whole long conversation recorded in John's gospel with his disciples, and he knows what's coming next. In fact, by this point in the conversation, Judas has already left. He's preparing to betray Jesus. Think about this. What, if you were to sit down with the people closest to you in your life because you knew your death was imminent, who would you gather, what would you say, how important would that conversation be? Okay? This is what Jesus to- chose to talk about with those guys that he loved. And so I would encourage you to read all of those chapters, but I want to hone in specifically on a few verses in John 15 first. John chapter 15, verse 4. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. We're going to be connected to each other. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He designed us to have this intimate connection with him, that the word he chooses is this word abide, that Alex told us at the beginning of the service what it meant. Man, to to live together, to, to be together, to be connected. And then he uses an analogy a vine in the branches. You you don't have to know much about gardening to know if you cut a branch off of a tree, that branch ain't gonna make it very long. You can maybe stick it in a jar of water for a couple of days and it'll pretend like it's still alive. But that thing's days are numbered. We were meant to be connected with him. And he says, listen, this is so important. I don't want you to mishear me. You can't do anything apart from me. It is so essential to your nature that you be connected with me. I want to do a one-minute aside. When we talk about the wages of sin being death, there there is a realm of that conversation where, where we're talking about the consequences or judgment for our sins. There's an element to that. But I just have to say that cheapens the reality of what takes place. God is life itself and he is the giver of life itself. And when he created us, the scripture tells us he did what? How did we we breathe our first breath? Was it oxygen? I I don't know. Maybe there was oxygen involved. God breathed his own breath into us. He intended for us. We were designed to be connected to him for our very life. And The the result of sin and the fallen condition we find ourselves in is that literally we are disconnected from life itself. And the consequence is death. And so Jesus said, man, I came to repair that and reconnect that. You are designed to be connected to the giver of life. And so he says, now, listen, I've come And I've reconciled you to to my father and to myself. And we can have this relationship. And so now you can go back to living the way it was intended for you to live, to be connected to life itself. And so it's essential that you stay connected with me. This isn't about us being immature little kids that can't do stuff on our own. It's not that. The giver of life designed us to be alive in him. And he's saying, be connected to me. It's essential. Now Jesus gives us a little definition of what that can look like. So we're going to skip down to verses 10 and 11, John chapter 15. He says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Three things. Number one, experiencing the abiding presence of God involves surrender. It involves surrender. I obey his commandments. I, I surrender my life to him. I'm following him. And Jesus says, hey, I'm not asking you to do anything I haven't spent my whole life doing. I followed the father's lead. And so Jesus says it, it involves surrender. Secondly, it involves being and staying connected. I surrender to him, and something awesome comes. Not, I'm an obedient little kid who he pats on the head and says, good job. He says, no, you experience love. Real, true, deep, meaningful love. The thing this world is craving like crazy, you can experience it for real, ultimately, in this relationship with God. And so abiding involves surrender, and then it involves receiving and experiencing his love And look what the result is. When I surrender to him and his love is pouring into my life, Jesus says your joy may be full. But he's very specific about the joy. It's not actually your joy, it's his joy. He said my joy may be upon you. I think some of what causes us so much grief in this world is we've defined for ourselves what would make me joyful and happy. And I try to bring God along or even convince him to help me get those things that will bring me joy and happiness and fulfillment. And then I feel like maybe he's not there when I'm not getting those things, or he's not good or doesn't care about me. Maybe he's not real at all. Because this pursuit I've identified isn't coming about what happened. But we've got it reversed. He designed us to be in a relationship with him where we surrender to him, his love pours into our life, and then his joy pours into our life, and we experience fullness of joy. Man, there there is nothing like experiencing the joy that Jesus brings in the midst of a season where it makes no sense to have it. I I can't even really talk about it. It's just kind of one of those things every now and then as a follower of Jesus we go, man, I, I can't believe how much things are in shambles right now, and yet somehow there's this deep abiding peace and joy. Yeah, because he's present, and he's defining for me what joy looks like. And, man, nothing can steal that. Nothing can steal that. Y'all with me? Okay. Okay. And then finally, he kind of summarizes everything he was talking about from John chapter 15, verse 1, all the way down now to 17. He wraps up all this stuff he was sharing about abiding and needing to be connected with him and surrendering to him and, and, and experiencing his love. And he says, this is the point. These things I command you so that you will be really good Christian people. No, what does he say? So that you will love one another. You want to experience healthy, loving relationships? You need the presence of God in your life, changing and transforming you and I. We need that. So, man, this is great news, right? Here's Jesus, the disciples. He's been warning them what's coming, but we know from Scripture they didn't really get it. And so now they're having this great meal with him, You know, man, they've had bread and wine. This is awesome. You know, Jesus is saying it's cool to drink wine. That's pretty great. Like, you know, can we laugh a little bit this morning? Okay. That was just meant to be funny. Like, hey, y'all can have some wine. It's great. It was his first miracle, you know. He turned water into wine. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) didn't mean to step on some toes this morning. Um, So here's the deal. Imagine these guys. They had this great meal with Jesus. Now he's telling them all this really cool stuff about man, guys, this is it. Y'all can abide with me. You can be connected with me. God's love is going to pour into your life. You're going to have joy. You can't even imagine. And then you're going to learn to love one another. Man, that sounds great. And then what does he do? He leaves. He leaves. In fact, he tells them he's going to leave. Okay, I'm about to go away now. That had to be so confusing to them. What's going on? And, and, whether or not I could put myself in their shoes, I've lived life in my shoes, and I've often thought, Jesus, this would be way easier if you were here. If, if you could come be my pastor, that would be great. If you were just here, and if I could call you on the phone, if I could text you and you'd be at my house, if we could just talk through some of those hard things, if you could even kind of come help me with some of the man, that would just be great. Like, that just seems like the ideal thing if Jesus could just be present And here with us, this is so important to make this connection. Jesus bookended John chapter 15 with what he said in John 14 and what he said in John 16 about the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to see this. I'm going to give you a snippet of it. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So he's echoing what we just heard and how we abide in him. And he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you occasionally. When you go to a really cool church service where the music is just right, and the guest speaker that rolled into town knows the right stuff to say that'll light the room up, then the Holy Spirit will be with you. Is that what it says? No. He will be with you forever. Forever. The Holy Spirit is meant to be ever present in our lives. Even the Spirit of truth. This isn't meant to be confusing or weird or deceptive. Like, I can know the truth. The Spirit can be present and he can talk to me about what's real and what God wants to do in my life. And I can can trust him. You can trust someone that always brings the truth. And so he will be with you forever. He's the Spirit of truth. The world cannot receive him because it neither sees him or knows him. Like, man, there needs to be an introduction. That's the mystery part of this. But you know him for he dwells with you. You know one of the words for abide? Dwell. He dwells with you. And just to be really clear, he's not just hanging out in your house. He will be in you. He's with you and in you. Once again, we see all the elements there. Surrendered. Connected and he's he's tying this in with the Holy Spirit. If we go over to John 16, verse 7, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus said, instead of one person, a physical body, trying to visit with everybody, it was actually gonna be for the disciples' benefit and now our benefit that he returned to the Father and send the Holy Spirit. God's spirit and presence can be present with all of us at once. This was prophesied in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. We can know Jesus. We can know the Holy Spirit. We can experience God in our life. This is not some special section or group of people who get to have this really cool, unique relationship with God and the rest of us are just going to try to do our best to get by or follow the example of whatever somebody tells us we should do. Like, you need me in the sense that we need one another. We sharpen each other. We learn from each other. We bear one another's burdens. But you, you don't need me. You have direct access to God. We're all kings and priests. We can all talk to him and know him and recognize his voice in our life. And so the church put this into action. Now, we're going to spend time in Acts throughout the series, but I just want to give you one glimpse of this. Um, In Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And they were walking in the fear of the Lord. That's that mysterious element. I'm in awe of God, and I'm respecting him as the king, and I'm not. And they experienced the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Peace, they were built up and strengthened, they were in awe of God, they experienced comfort from the Holy Spirit, and the church multiplied. That, it just kind of took care of itself. Why? Because the real love of God, present and active in people's lives, changes things for the better. And it's appealing to people who are hungry for something real, for something real, for real love, real truth, a life that has meaning and value. Not just playing churchy games and trying to be good people, experiencing the real love of God. That spreads, because it's good stuff. I love this quote. I've shared this before. It's probably been a year or more, but A.W. Tozer had this to say about being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, The Spirit-filled life is not a special, deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. We'll look at this in the coming weeks, but Jesus literally told his disciples, Don't you go anywhere till the Holy Spirit shows up. Then you can start living the life I've called you to live. And he told them to wait and receive the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit is essential, and now, really quickly, I just want to give you some bullet points of where we're heading in the series. So, my, my hope and prayer is that we all l- are learning more and more to experience the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, here's some things we're going to cover. First of all, we're just going to talk about who He is. I, I've joked about this before. I think one of the reasons the Holy Spirit's so mysterious is He doesn't have a regular name. Like, did you ever think about that? Like, he's just the Holy Spirit. That sounds mysterious. Like, we have Jesus. We have the Father. I can relate to those. If he was like Chad, you know, I feel like I could be buddies with Chad. <laughs> I know a Chad. Chad's a good guy. You know, like, I, I mean, I know that sounds silly, but, but don't you agree? Like, the name is just so, it doesn't sound real or personal, but he is. He's a person. We're meant to know him. And so we're just going to get to know him. So the scripture defines, like there's some descriptive words about who he is. He's a helper, he's a teacher, he's a comforter. The Bible also uses um, like word pictures. So he's, he, some examples are he's like a dove or the wind or fire. And so we're going to look at some of those pictures and we're going to look at some of those descriptive words and get to know him as a person. I think, I think part of what can freak some of us out about some of the more mysterious elements of the Holy Spirit, like the gifts of the Spirit, as an example, is we don't know him. I mean, I'm going to be weirded out by just a random package from a stranger, but when I get a gift from someone who loves me, I can't wait to open it. And I know they've picked it out especially for me because they know me and love me and know what I would enjoy and would be good for me. See, if I'm developing a relationship with him, then suddenly things he wants to give me aren't scary. They're awesome. They're a really cool gift from a God I know and love. So we're going to get to know him a bit. We're going to look at some stories of the Holy Spirit working in people's lives, both Old and New Testament, because if you're like me, man, I just pick stuff up from stories. You give me a list, I can maybe memorize it to pass a test, and then it's gone. But you give me a story, I can hold on to that. So we're going to look at some stories of how the Holy Spirit operated in some real people's lives, people who made all kinds of mistakes and messed up along the way, but God loved them and hung in there with them. And so we're going to look at that. Um, We're going to talk about how to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. How do I receive him into my life? How do I learn to hear God's voice in my life? And we're going to talk about how we grow in relationship and godly character. They go hand in hand. Relationship with him and growing in godly character go hand in hand. And then we will talk about things like how the power of the Holy Spirit operates power in my own personal life, forgiveness of sin, freedom from sin, like overcoming struggles, learning to enjoy a godly life instead of Christianity feeling like something that's a straitjacket or restrictive, realizing like there's real joy in living life with God and how the power of the Holy Spirit brings that about in our life. And then finally, how the power of the Holy Spirit works through me to other people. And we'll talk about the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. That's where we're heading. Y'all with me? You in? Man, I think it's going to be fun. I'm believing it's going to be beneficial for us individually. I'm believing it's going to be beneficial for us as a church. I can't wait to see what God has in store.